This is Solid Foundation Ministries with Dr. Pierre Couvert, building solid foundations through sound Bible teaching. Good morning and welcome back to Solid Foundation Ministries. Last week we looked at what I believe to be the greatest sign of the soon return of Christ. I want to look today at the global rebellion against God's law, which is the result of our turning away from God and His Word. We see this when we look at the attitudes of many of our political leaders, especially on the left, and their hatred for the things spelled out in God's Word. They are against the traditional family, they are for homosexuality, and they're for same-sex marriage, and I could go on and on with the debauchery that they're for. They are attacking Christianity as if it were a curse on society. Some leftist governors and mayors have openly stated that they don't want churches to reopen. Fortunately, for now, the Supreme Court has stood against the closing or limiting of churches. If the left continues in stacking the Supreme Court as they want to, we don't know how long this is going to last. I want to start out this morning by looking at the prophecy that's found in Psalms chapter 2. Verses 1 through 9 tell us, Why do the heathen rage, and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth uh, set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them with his sword displeasure. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I, and I shall give the, thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron, thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. When we think about prophecy, the book of Psalms is not the first thing that comes to mind. However, the Psalms contain many prophecies. Some of them were fulfilled at Christ's first coming, and many of them uh, which point to his second coming are yet to be fulfilled. The events described in this Psalm describe what we see throughout the world today. The heathen kings and, the, and their people are uniting in rebellion against Jehovah God and his anointed. The heathen are those who reject the God of the Bible. They rage against God. They are trying to cast away his bands and cords. This refers to his holy laws. They desire to live as they please without any limitations on their sinful lifestyle. The heathen have been raging against God since man's fall and since Cain, the first son of Adam, killed his prophet brother Abel. The rage has grown in intensity these last days and will culminate in Armageddon. Rage against God's holy laws is the chief characteristic of Western pop culture today, and it is spread throughout the whole earth. The rage is expressed continually through movies, television, literature, the news media, the fields of education, fashion, and art. 
the rebellion is seen in the false religions, communism, evolution, militant atheism, and so forth. The American atheists paid for billboard ads in September of 2012 calling the God of the Bible sadistic and Jesus a useless savior. The homosexual right movement tries to tell us that we are not the gender we were born to be. Some even say there are as many as a hundred different genders. How foolish are these people? The gospel has been preached in every nation and at least portions of the Bible have been translated into most languages. In spite of this, the vast majority of the people have turned their back on God's gracious offer of salvation through His Son. The psalmist says that God will laugh at the rebels, not in joy, but in scorn, because puny man cannot pull him from his throne or thwart his plans. God will establish Christ's kingdom with its headquarters in Jerusalem in spite of the worldwide opposition. And he will not establish it by a, an all-millennial reconstruction or by charismatic or emerging kingdom builders, but by his almighty power and the, a rod of iron. The psalmist has warned the ungodly rulers and judges, but they uh, will not listen. It says, Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way, when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in him. The kings and judges of the earth have been warned. They are to be instructed by the word of God. They are to serve the Lord with fear. This is the fear of offending a holy God. It's a fear that keeps us from straying from God's precepts. They are told to rejoice with trembling. As we rejoice in the Lord, we must remember who he is and tremble before his majesty and power. This is a trembling from knowing who he is as we rejoice in the grace that he has so freely given us. The expression, kiss the sun, signifies, first of all, submission. It was customary in Bible times for subjects to kiss the king, and today you will still find Roman Catholics who kiss the ring of the Pope in submission to his authority. Listen to what it says in First uh, Samuel chapter 10 and verse 1. It says, Then Samuel took the vial of oil and poured it upon his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord hath anointed thee to be captain over his inheritance? Samuel kissed David as a sign of his submission to uh, him as the new king of Israel. To kiss an idol was a sign of submission to the God it represented. To kiss the Son, therefore, refers to the sinner's repenting of his rebellion against God and surrendering to Christ as Lord. The expression, kiss the Son, is also a sign of compassion. A kiss is a tender thing. It reminds us that salvation in Christ is not a matter of cold religious duty, it is a personal, intimate relationship with the Son of God. 
compare this with what it says in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. It says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Men are exhorted to submit to the Son of God and put their trust in Him while there is opportunity. If the Son is angry with someone, He will perish. It only takes a little bit of of His wrath to uh, kindle His anger and put them in the danger of hellfire. The day is coming, and we need to remember this, when all will stand before Uh, the righteous judge, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 9.27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. The time of our appointment with death is known only to God, but it is as sure as the sun will rise tomorrow morning, unless, of course, the rapture comes and we're Christians had caught out at that point in time. But other than that, there's an appointment with every man, woman, and child on this earth with death. After our our appointment with death, we will stand before the judgment bar. The saved, that is those who are in Christ, will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now this judgment is for reward, not for determining our salvation. But the unsaved will stand before the great white throne judgment and be shown their their just punishment and they will understand why God is obligated to protect his creation from such as these people. Uh, and send them into hell where they will be eternally separated for him and be in torments throughout all ages to come, that is, forever and ever. Since uh, we know that our time on this earth is limited, and none of us have any guarantee of another day to live, this next verse is extremely important. In Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, it says, For he saith, I have heard thee in the accepted time, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. If you're not sure of your salvation, today is the day you need to make sure. You have no guarantee that you'll be alive tomorrow. You don't know if you're going to have another chance. Today is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. Our eternal destiny is fixed at death. Those who have rejected Christ and his word will be forever lost. They will spend all eternity separated from God in the lake of fire. And I can't say that too much. If you're not saved out there today, you better make sure and get that taken care of. Tomorrow may be too late. We are reminded that God delights in mercy more than in judgment. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Folks, God wants us all to know the truth. That's why he gave us the Bible. It is his desire that all 
should come to repentance, that all should turn to Christ, that all should be saved. I don't care what some false teachers in the Calvinistic movement say, God desires that all people be saved. Listen to what it says in Second Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Again, he wants everyone to come to repentance. The Lord is not slack uh, concerning his promise. His promise of rapture, his promise of heaven for the for the saved and, and an eternity without sin uh, once we go into the next age and uh, also the promise to the lost of, of an eternal damnation if they don't turn. The promise of the coming end of time. The promise of the coming uh, uh, tribulation. He's not slack in these but it says he is long-suffering. What does that mean? That means he puts up with us for a long time. And it tells us why. Because he's not willing that any should perish. If anybody dies in their sins and goes off into eternity, it's not God's fault. It's their own because God has given them ample opportunity. God has given us revelation in his creation. He's given us revelation in our hearts, things we just know instinctively. You don't have to teach children that there's a God. You have to teach it out of them to make atheists out of them and uh, uh, God has given us plenty of warning. All men are to serve the Lord with fear and trembling. This actually is evidence of true salvation. Somebody who does not serve God, somebody who has no interest in the things of God and and rejects his principles cannot uh, claim salvation because the Bible says that when we come uh, into salvation, when we're saved, uh, we are new creatures in Christ. Salvation is not simply praying the sinner's prayer. It is a life-changing conversion experience and if your life does not change uh, at your supposed salvation you can be sure that something is lacking in uh, what you're believing and what you're trusting in for your salvation the sad thing is our soul winners today tell people just pray this prayer and you'll be saved you won't find that in scripture you won't find any place in scripture where it says we're saved by inviting christ into our heart it says we must receive him but that's not the same thing we receive him by trusting in him for our eternal salvation and by the way for his uh working in our lives and and keeping us uh in his will throughout the rest of the lives we spend on this earth so far what we have dealt with uh, tells us of the state of the religious leaders in the last days. I want to take some time now to look at the condition of churches and Christians as we approach the end of the age. The second and third chapters of Revelation contain letters from Christ to the pastors of seven churches. These churches represent types of churches that are found throughout history but they also represent seven periods where certain types of churches will be the most common. The last of these periods is just before the return of Christ. Let's look at the last letter or the letter to the last pastor of the last church in the book of Revelations. It's found in uh, Revelation chapter 3 verses 14 through 22. It's rather long so bear with me as I read it. And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, 
These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art uh, neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth, because thou sayest, I am rich, and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold uh, tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that thy shame and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see as many as i love i rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent behold i stand at the door and knock if any man hear my voice and open the door i will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me to him that overcometh I will grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and then sat down uh, with my father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In the letters to the first of six pastors, the churches were addressed as the church in or at a specific town or location. This church is addressed differently. It is addressed to the church of the Laodiceans. Laodiceans means the inhabitants of Laodicea, which means it was a church which belonged to the people of the city and not a church that belonged to God. It was a church that had put the Lord on the outside and closed the door. In the letters to the seven churches, uh, there are two churches, uh, Sardis, I believe, and Philadelphia, where there was nothing bad said about them. There were also two churches where nothing good was said about them, if I recall correctly. But this church in particular, we just read it, nothing good was said about this church. It said they had opportunity to, to repent and change things, but nothing good was said about it. The letter says that this church was neither cold nor hot, but was lukewarm. This was a church that would not stand for anything. It, it was weak. It, it may have had sound doctrine because it doesn't say they didn't, but it would not stand up for that doctrine or not fight for that doctrine. It was a compromising church. And today there are many churches, even Baptist churches, that when you read their doctrinal statements, they're pretty solid. The problem is they will not take a stand for the doctrines that are listed in their statements. They will not separate themselves from error. They compromise with anybody who says they're a Christian. And folks, we're commanded in the scriptures not to do that. This was a rich church. It probably had a nice building, and it probably had the money it needed to carry out its ministries and to care for the needy and other things. It was a rich church. It was so rich that they thought they needed nothing else. But it was not rich in spiritual matters. Because of its lukewarmness, it made God spew it out of his mouth. When you don't stand for righteousness, you are in rebellion against God's law just as much as those who openly oppose God's law. When you don't stand for it, you are assisting those who are fighting against the things of God. 
When we moved to this area, we expected to find a lot of strong churches because, after all, this area is called the Bible Belt. We were so disappointed as we started looking at churches and trying to find a church home with the lack of stand that, that many of the churches in this area have. Uh, we come from out west where you still have to fight for being a Baptist, and so we expected here in the Bible Belt we wouldn't have to. But we do today still have to fight to stand on biblical principles and stand for the things of God. Now that I've looked at the state of the churches, I want to look more closely at the conditions of the people in the last days. Second Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 says, This know also that in the last days perilous time shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, uh, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, uh, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of treasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away, for of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sins, uh, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. There's a lot in this passage of scripture and I don't have time to look at everything. So I'll just look at those things that I think are important for the, the discussion at hand. The people are more selfish today than any time I can remember. And uh, people are, are only thinking about themselves. One of the common things that we hear to say today is what's in it for me? Even when they're looking for a church home, they say, what's in it for me? They, they choose a church based on what that church will do for them instead of what they can do to serve that church and that church faithfulness to the word of God should be the number one standard. But they don't look for that. They say, what's in it for me? And they will reject any teaching that interferes with them doing and getting what they want. It talks about blasphemers. The blasphemers we're talking about here are Christians. Uh, they don't blaspheme with their lips. In other words, they don't go out and openly say things against the word of God. But with their attitude towards the scriptures and the precepts of God, they do blaspheme. If there's a Bible teaching that they don't want to follow, they'll go to great lengths to explain it away. They'll twist the scriptures try and make scripture say what it doesn't say and everything else. When someone points out that what the Bible actually says, they say we all have the right to our own interpretation, so we'll just have to agree to disagree. How foolish is that? God has given us his word for a specific purpose, so we could know what is right and we could know what is wrong, and so that we could stand for righteousness. But we can't do that if we're just going around and saying, well, you, whatever you want to uh, make it mean, that's okay. No, we don't have the right to our own interpretation. There are rules, it's called the science of hermeneutics, on interpreting. When I say things to you, like I'm doing in this radio broadcast, you can be sure that you will only understand it if you follow certain rules. Well, that same principle is true when we interpret the Bible. We have to interpret according to the rules. What does it actually say? And unless there's something in the context to change the most uh, common meaning of the words, the words have to keep that meaning. 
also says that they are without natural affection. And I'm only going to look at one point on that because there are a lot of ways to do it. I could get into homosexuality and same-sex marriage and all that stuff. But I just want to look at something that is even more common in our churches than that. It is natural for a mother to put her children above everything except God and her husband. Today, almost anything else comes before children. A lot of couples don't have children because they will interfere with their desired lifestyle. The Bible says that children are a blessing from God. They say they're an inheritance from God. And they said, happy is he that has the quiver full. So having children is a blessed thing. And you shouldn't turn it off just because you want to live higher on the hog and have less problems in your life. Because children will bring you problems, but you'll be blessed in the end. If they do have children, the mother gives them over to someone else to raise as soon as they can. After all, they have their career, and they have to make this extra money so that they can have more material things that they desire. Folks, that's not natural affection. That's not the way a woman should look at her children. The next thing that I want to look at, it says they are despisers of them that are good. If someone stands firm on the principles of Scripture, they are called, by other Christians, by the way, all kinds of names, like holier-than-thou, goody-two-shoes, legalistic, and you can think of other things that we're called. And folks, we are to stand on the Word of God, and it doesn't mean we think we're holier than everybody else. It just means that we understand that we are not holy as we as holy as we should be, and that we need God's Word and to stand on His principles because we are commanded to be holy as our God is holy. Today, almost everyone is a lover of pleasure more than a lover of God. God is not against us having pleasure if it lines up with the teachings of his word. We should find great uh, pleasure in studying God's word. It's one of my most enjoyable things is sitting down and studying God's word, not just reading it, but digging into it. We should find pleasure in hearing sound preaching of scripture. There is great pleasure in fellowship with God's people. When we get together with God's people and we fellowship with one another, both in doing things that we enjoy, like going on a picnic or or something like that, but also in fellowshipping around God's Word, there should be great pleasure in that. There's also great pleasure in some things in the world, but we must be sure that they don't keep us from God and His precepts. If we get pleasure from a ball game, It's fine and proper as long as it does not keep us out of church or cause us to violate some biblical principles. God must come before pleasure. The result of these attitudes is they are ever learning and never able to come to uh, a knowledge of the truth. Most of today's Christians are biblically illiterate and ignorant of sound Bible doctrine. When we don't know what the Bible teaches, we contribute to the rebellion against God's law. We do so because we cannot answer the gainsayers, that is, those who speak against it. We also contribute by not separating ourselves from those who are in error. Remember, the Bible teaches that if we hang around bad people, their badness will rub off on us. This is why there are many who get angry when you tell them there are certain kinds of music that are bad or that they shouldn't smoke or drink alcohol, or that a woman's place is in the home, not working outside of the home. These are all 
issues that the Bible deals with, but nobody wants to pay any attention to them. They want to just reject them out of hand. The popular statement used by those who violate these principles is, we are not under law, but we are under grace. This is true for salvation, but it is not true for how we live our lives once we are saved. If we are not under law for the way we live, then is murder okay? How about stealing or adultery? No, we are still under law. It's just that we're not saved by law, but no one has ever been saved by the law. They've always been saved by the grace of God through faith. We cannot be saved by keeping the law because we already stand guilty before God because we've broken it. Only the grace of God received by faith in the blood payment of Christ on the cross can save. Once we are saved, we are expected to live righteous lives. Uh, the Bible tells us we are to be holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. When you don't follow God's precepts, you are guilty of rebellion against the law of God. And that's the subject of this message today. Remember, judgment is coming and we will all answer to God for what we do uh, with His law during this life. You have been listening to Solid Foundation Ministries from Lenore, North Carolina. Dr. Kuvert has 35 years in the ministry as a former missionary and pastor. He is available for revivals and various conferences on missions, Bible, Baptist heritage, and the family. To find out more, go to our website, solidfoundationministries.com, or call 828 828- 244-6505. Remember, the Christian life is not about you. It's about God receiving the glory.